This is day six of this April 2019 seven-day session. And we'll take up a koan today. This is uh, in from the Mumonkan, the one after Mu. Uh, number two, Hyakujo and a fox. It's, uh, I think, the longest, or one of the two longest in the Mumonkan, uh, as far as the case I'm talking about. So let's start in on the case. Whenever Hyakujo delivered a Tesho, a certain old man was always there listening to it together with the monks. And when they left the hall, he left also. One day, however, he remained behind, and Hyakujo approached him and said, who may you be? The old man replied, I am not a human being. In the far distant past, in the time of Kashapa Buddha, I was the head of this monastery. On one occasion, a certain monk asked me whether an enlightened person could fall again under the chain of cause and effect, and I answered that he could not. Because of this answer, I have for 500 lives been reborn as a fox. Now I beg you to release me from this fox body by saying the turning words on my behalf. <clears throat> and so he put it to him. He asked Hyakujo, Can an enlightened person fall again under the chain of cause and effect or not? Hyakujo answered, He does not ignore the law of causation. At this, the old man immediately awakened and making his bows said, I am now released from rebirth as a fox and my body will be found on the other side of this mountain. I wish to make a request of you. Please bury me as a dead monk. Hyakujo had the head monk strike the clappers and informed the monks that after the midday meal there would be a funeral service for a dead monk. The monks thought this odd, since all were in good health. There was no there was no sick monk in the Nirvana Hall, that's the monastic infirmary, and they wondered what the reason could be for this order. After they had eaten, Hyakujo led them to the foot of a rock on the far side of the mountain and with his staff poked out the dead body of a fox and had it cremated. You know, I think I'm just going to stop there for the case. There's another uh, long paragraph um, which we'll get to. This may go into a second Tesho. I see that I haven't uh, taken up this koan in nine years, and uh, maybe it's because it's, uh, it is quite long. All right, so the protagonists are Hyakujo, which is the Japanized name of Bai Zhang Wei Hai. And we have our trusty source, uh, Andy Ferguson's 
Zen's Chinese heritage, the masters and their teachings, which is a, a big source of biographies of the Tang Dynasty masters. So Bai Zhang's dates were 720 to 814, not that anyone's taking notes. Uh, and uh, he was a, a disciple, one of the foremost disciples of the great uh, Ma Zhu. Ma Zhu uh, is most famous for having had 139 enlightened disciples and was sort of the the uh, patriarch of a whole the whole line of of Zen. Uh, one time, Bai Zhang was attending on his master Ma Zhu. He saw the abbot's whisk sitting on its stand. Um, this is a, a, a fly whisk that became a, kind of a ceremonial object. I, the Japanese call it the hosu. Uh, I use it sometimes in cere- some of our ceremonies. Uh, then it became something that the uh, masters could brandish um, when they weren't swatting away flies, whisking away flies. He saw the abbot's whisk sitting on its stand and said, if someone uses this, can they also not use it? Mazu said, in the future, if you travel to some other place, how will you help people? Bai Zhang picked up the whisk and held it upright. Mazu said, if you use it this way, what other way can it be used? Bai Zhang placed the whisk back on its stand. Mazu suddenly let out an earth-shaking shout so loud that Bai Zhang was deaf for three days. From this thunderclap came a great vibration. Uh, by the way, this is an original source that this uh, translation comes from. Uh, it's it's that's its its um, asset that it's a, it's a, it's original. It's from some stone uh, tablets, uh, but as we can see, that there are some things that we can uh, question a little bit. From this thunderclap came a great vibration. Later, a prominent lay supporter invited Bai Zhang to come to, and to come and serve as abbot at a temple. Um, this was a place of high and precipitous peaks. Thus came the name Bai Zhang. I think I better switch to the Japanese... Uh, it's always this dilemma. Do you use the original Chinese name and uh, mispronounce it uh, or go with a Japanese version, which is a little easier to pronounce? I think in this case, I'm going to switch from Bai Zhang to his Japanese name, which is Hyakujo. It'll be a little mindfulness exercise for me because as I'm reading, I have to convert Bai Zhang to Hyakujo each time. And... Uh, the other guy. Uh, before Hyakujo had even passed a month at the temple, new students seeking his spiritual guidance came from every quarter. Foremost among them were 
Wang Bo, that's Obaku, and, and which we haven't we haven't encountered him yet in the case. That's the second half of the case. Foremost among them were Obaku and Guishan. One day, Hyakujo said to the congregation, "The Buddha Dharma is not a trifling matter. Formerly." My great master, Mazu shouted so loudly that I was deaf for three days. When Obaku heard this, he stuck out his tongue. Hyakujo said to him, In the future, will you carry on Mazu's dharma? Obaku said, There's no way I could do so. Today, because of what you've said, I've seen Mazu's great function but I still haven't glimpsed Mazu. If I carry on Mazu's teaching, then our descendants will be cut off. Hyakujo said, just so, just so. The one who is his teacher's equal has diminished his teacher by half. Only a student who surpasses his teacher can transmit his teacher's teaching. How does the student surpass the teacher? And to this, Obaku bowed. This is the uh, this is sort of uh, the party line in Zen, the the myth that uh, in order to uh, succeed your teacher, you have to have surpassed your teacher. Um, employing our Western logic, that would mean that uh, no, uh, that even the Buddha and uh, these guys, Mazu and Obaku and Yagujo, uh, can't compare to today's teachers. Um, so the point is uh, to, uh, if you, it's the other way around. If the teacher falls short of his teacher's understanding, then the line is sure to uh, decline and deteriorate. Here's a, a quite lengthy response by Hyakujo to a question. The question is, how can a person gain freedom? And uh, it's, a, it's a good thing to read because that's a feature in today's koan is freedom or lack of freedom. How can a person gain freedom? Hyakujo said, If you attain it at this moment, then you've attained it. If you can instantly cut off the emotions of the self, the five desires and winds of attachment, the greed and covetousness, the pollution and purity, that is to say, all delusive thoughts, then you'll be like the sun and the moon hanging in space purely shining, the mind like wood and stone, thoughts spared from worldly entrapments, like a great elephant crossing a river, engulfed in the rapids, but taking no missteps. Uh, pause for a minute and pick up a couple of these things. Um, He includes among the things you want to come uh, cut off are uh, not just uh, pure, uh, pollution, but purity. 
He's taking these opposites and making the point that purity can also be an attachment from a Zen perspective. Or you could say virtue, uh, misconduct and virtue. When he says with a mind like wood and stone, of course, means unmoving. Un, this is really a, a statement of uh, a description of equanimity, unflappability. Thoughts spared from worldly entrapments like a great elephant crossing a river engulfed in the rapids but taking no missteps. This steadfast, a stupendous stability of our true nature. He goes on, Heaven and hell can't pull in such a person. When that person reads a sutra or observes a teaching, the words return to the person. It makes it makes it her own. The person knows that all teachings with words are only a reflection of the immediacy of self-nature and are just meant to guide you. Such teachings don't penetrate the revolving realms of existence and non-existence. Only diamond wisdom penetrates the revolving realms of existence and non-existence and thus constitutes complete independent freedom. Existence and non-existence is the two sides of looking at reality. We can say that everything is, and uh, but that's only half the truth. The other is that so there is nothing of any substance to it, ultimate, permanent substance to it, that everything everything that gives the appearance of existing is, in fact, uh, empty, uh, in flux. He says, but to be separate from all sound and form, though not abiding in the separateness and not abiding in intellectual comprehension, this is the true practice of reading sutras and observing the teachings. One who lets the world be as it is, always acting in countless situations with clear rectitude, this one, this is one who has truly cut off the passions. Uh, when he says separate from all sound and form, means uh, not attached to sound and form. Seeing through the world of phenomena, form, phenomena, that includes sounds. Here's a short one. 
uh, Zen master Hyakujo entered the hall to give a teisho. When the monks had assembled, he suddenly leaped off of the Dharma seat and drove them from the hall with his staff. Just as they were running out of the hall, he called to them. When they turned around, he said, What is it? This is the uh, the origin of uh, this breakthrough koan. What is it? <coughs> Just as the previous koan in the Mumonkan is the origin uh, of the koan mu. And this "what is it?" is is uh, I'm told is the primary uh, breakthrough koan in Korean Zen, the counterpart to mu in Japanese Zen. This is a very famous story. It says that in the everyday work of the monastery, Hyakujo always was foremost among the assembly at undertaking the tasks of the day. The monks in charge of the work were concerned about the matter. They hid his tools and asked him to rest. I think he was very advanced age at this point. Hyakujo said, I am unworthy. How can I allow others to work in my behalf? <coughs> he looked everywhere for his tools, but was unable to find them. He even forgot to eat while looking for his tools. And thus the phrase, a day without working is a day without eating, has become known everywhere. He, uh, Hyakujo is possibly most famous as having uh, started the whole uh, uh, monastic uh, system of, of rules, the, the rules and regulations of, of uh, Chinese and then Japanese and Korean monasticism. And uh, this was a feature of it. A day of no work is a day of no eating. Until then, uh, much of the manual labor in these monasteries uh, and, and these go back centuries, these monasteries, uh, the manual work, work was done by lay people uh, and uh, farmers uh, and others. And uh, so this was quite a radical thing where he insisted that the monks themselves, able-bodied monks, can do the work and not rely, rely on uh, lay people to do it for them. This goes back further uh, into uh, the Indian and uh, Indian tradition where the monks were seen as, uh, it's not their work, it's not for them to do. Uh, that's for lay people to do. Their job in, in India, the Indian monks, was to study the sutras and and uh, preach the Dharma. Uh, Hyakujo changed all that, and, and to this day we still honor that, uh, doing our own work. Well, that's enough about uh, Hyakujo. And 
then there's the other one in the uh, in this case, and that'll mean reading further. So we left off in the case with Hyakujo leading the monks, the uh, bewildered monks, to the uh, a rock on the far side of the mountain, and as him poking out uh, the dead body of a fox and having it cremated. Now it continues. In the evening, Hyakujo ascended the rostrum in the hall and told the monks the whole story. At this, Obaku asked the following question. Obaku was his, uh, one of his leading disciples. He asked, This old man made a mistake in his answer and suffered rebirth as a fox for 500 lives, you say. But suppose every time that he answered, he had not made a mistake. What would he have become? Hyakujo replied, Just come closer to me and I'll tell you. You guys are all, all wise to this. Obaku then went up to Hyakujo and slapped him. Hyakujo, clapping his hands and laughing, exclaimed, I thought that only the barbarian's beard is red, but I see that you are a barbarian with a red beard. It's one of the points of, of this koan that we won't uh, uh, attempt to explain. And now, about Obaku. At least a bit. Uh, The thing that I always remember about uh, Obaku was his physical uh, stature. He was... uh, they, they claim that he was about seven feet tall and he had a large protruding forehead that was whimsically described as a large pearl. It describes him here as a teacher with simple methods and few words. Here's another, uh, another legend. You know, when you go back this far to the 8th century, uh, the fact and legend and uh, myth all gets mixed up. But uh, this one has endured over the centuries and because it has a teaching to it. Here's the story. While on, the, while on his journey to Mount Tiantai, famous... Uh, um, holy mountain in another Buddhist tradition, the Tiendai tradition. So on a, on a journey, uh, Obaku met another monk. They talked and laughed just as though they were old friends who had long known one another. Their eyes gleamed with delight as they then set off traveling together. Coming to the fast rapids of a stream, they removed their hats and took up staffs to walk across. The other monk tried to lead Obaku across, saying, Come on, come on. Obaku said, If elder brother wants to go across, then go ahead. Then the other monk began walking across the top of the water, just as though it were dry land. 
The monk turned to Obaku and said, Come on, come on. Obaku yelled, Ah, you self-serving fellow. If I had known this before, I would have chopped off your legs. The monk cried out, you tr- You're truly a vessel of the Mahayana. I can't compare with you. And so saying, the monk vanished. Point being that Zen has no truck with psychic powers. We touched on this while reading the the, uh, the, the teachings of Banke, Japanese semester Banke, a couple of days ago, that uh, this is seen as just a, a silly little sideline compared to seeing into one's self-nature, having these special powers. And Obaku held up that uh, prioritizing of uh, seeing through this world, this world of this conditioned world of phenomenon, change through life and death, uh, as far more important. Not just more important, but if one is devoting one's time to de- developing these powers, much less showing off about them, then he's far, far way away from the real thing. And here is the uh, supposedly the initial encounter that uh, Obaku had with Hyakujo. Hyakujo asked when he when he when he approached him. Uh, Hyakujo said, "So grand and imposing. Remember, he's seven feet tall, uh, with a big old Neanderthal brow. Uh, so grand and imposing. Where have you come from?" Obaku said. So grand and imposing, I've come from south of the mountains. Hyakujo said, So grand and imposing, what are you doing? Uh, Obaku said, So grand and imposing, I'm not doing anything else. And then Obaku, after that, he bowed and said, From ancient times, what is the teaching of this order? Hyakujo remained Silent. Obaku said, Don't allow the descendants to be cut off. Seems to be saying, If you don't give me a response, how can I uh, succeed you, become a worthy disciple and succeed you? Hyakujo then said, It may be said that you are a person. And then Hyakujo then continued and said, he stood up and returned to his abbot's quarters. And then Obaku went chasing after him and said, I've come with a special purpose. To which Hyakujo said, if that's really so, then hereafter you won't disappoint me. One day, Hyakujo asked Obaku, his disciple, Where have you been? Obaku said, I've been picking mushrooms at the base of Mount Great Hero. Hyakujo said, Did you see a big tiger? Obaku roared. Hyakujo picked up an axe and assumed a pose as if to strike 
Obaku. Obaku then hit him. Hyakujo laughed and returned to his room. Later, Hyakujo entered the hall and said to the monks, At the base of Great Hero Mountain, there's a tiger. You monks should go take a look at it. Just today, I myself suffered a bite from it. And just one more here. Uh, Obaku was at... Uh, now this is... Now we're past Hyakujo. This is Obaku, the disciple. He was a, a master in his own right. He was at a, uh, another master's temple performing uh, prostrations. At that time, the future emperor was serving as a novice monk in the temple. The future emperor, he's probably a youth of some kind, of some age, the future emperor asked Obaku, watching, as he watched him do prostrations, not seeking Buddha, not seeking Dharma, not seeking Sangha. When the master bows, what is it you're seeking? Obaku said, not seeking Buddha, not seeking Dharma, not seeking Sangha. One always bows in just this manner. The novice, the future emperor, said, Then why bow? Obaku struck him. The novice said, You're really too crude. To which Obaku said, What place is this we're in? Is it for idle chatter? And then he hit him again for good measure. That was my part there. <laughs> so this this could be something that resonates with a lot of us, at least uh, maybe from when we were earlier in practice, when we saw no point of doing prostrations, why this uh, ritual, uh, we're not here to worship the Lord Buddha, um, and... Uh, bow down before him. But uh, you can be sure that Obaku uh, was seeing that Buddha figure uh, in an entirely different way than the novice was, and that he saw this Buddha figure as just representing our true nature, our Buddha nature, the novice's Buddha nature too. All right, that's enough for the two main guys in this, and let's get started back on this koan. So, um, to paraphrase here, in the case, uh, whenever, whenever Hyakujo uh, gave a teisho, there was uh, an old man there, uh, with mixed in with the other monks, and he left with them. But one day he stayed behind, and uh, Hyakujo was curious, and he asked him, "Who may you be?" He, he didn't recognize him as a member of the of the assembly, the monastic assembly. And this old man said, "I'm not a human being." Uh, so this is the the first a little 
uh, leap one has to make with this story, um, it should be no problem, really, to take these stories on their in their own terms. Stories, stories are presentations of truth in a certain form that may not be at all believable in terms of uh, science or our common sense. Uh, fairy tales, fables, you all know this. These are all um, kind of packaging of timeless truths about reality, uh, life, relationships, and uh, koans can be the same. So let's just go with this. He says, I'm not a human being. He says, in the far distant past, in the time of Kashapa Buddha, I was the head of this monastery. And then he said he was asked this question, whether the enlightened person could fall again under the chain of cause and effect. And he had answered, he could not. And because of that answer, he said, I've been born for 500 lives as a fox. Now, fox, Roshi Kaplo used to explain, uh, occupies this dual position in, in Japan and China, maybe Korea, uh, where it can be seen as uh, kind of a, a cross between a, a mischief maker and a troublemaker and uh, having some kind of crazy wisdom. We have the saying, crazy like a fox. And uh, in this case, to be reborn as a fox is not something that the abbot at that time would have wanted. It's something of a, well, certainly a step down from, from a human in terms of evolution, especially a step down from uh, a monk. So he, he turns to him and pleads, uh, please, can you release me from this fox body by giving me some turning words, by instructing me? And then he set him up. Uh, the, the fox abbot, let's call him the fox abbot, former abbot, asked Hyakujo the same question he had been asked so long ago. He said, can an enlightened person fall again under the chain of cause and effect or not? Before we repeat Hyakujo's reply, um, this is a this is one of the most prominent of all koans because it addresses a fundamental issue about practice and training and awakening, which is how are we different? How are how 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 do, have things changed after awakening with respect to the law of causation, if at all? In Western terms, you could kind of see this koan 
dramatizing the old philosophical argument about free will and determinism. We know the argument for determinism that uh, we, at any given time in our lives, uh, we are determined to some degree, maybe to a great degree, by uh, previous causes, starting with our genetic inheritance, uh, the body we were endowed with, the mind, our physical vulnerabilities, our emotional or mental vulnerabilities, the genetics, uh, a lot about genetics uh, these, these last few years, people getting their genetic profiles and even the braver ones wanting to see what, whether they might be, uh, have some genetic vulnerability to, uh, Alzheimer's or other, other diseases, Parkinson's and other diseases. So it's a, it's a strong argument that we are, uh, somewhat determined that is, we, we, we are, uh, the effect of things outside of our control. And then there's uh, the ongoing f- sources of uh, formative things, our, our childhood, our rearing, our parents, uh, their uh, psychological issues, their emotional issues, and how they impact us, and um, our education or lack of education, <clears throat> our socioeconomic upbringing, um, and on and on and on. So uh, surely uh, we can't deny that there are these influences that form us uh, over time. The, uh, the, the word we could use is karma, cause and effect, the law of causation. Karma means habit force. Whatever we do over and over again becomes a habit, a habit of reacting to circumstances, to people in our lives. And every time we react in that particular way, uh, we f- deepen a groove in our mind, our wiring, let's say, um, so that when that same uh, condition or the same circumstances occur again, we're more likely to react in the same way. Just a real obvious example is anger. Uh, Buddhism would would say that every time we uh, vent every time we get angry uh, it's more likely that the next time we are uh, facing a stressful situation that we're a little even a little more likely to react in the same way we get we get uh, there's a certain momentum karma habit energy or pick your emotion 
anger is an obvious one. Um, self-reproach, um, uh, depression, uh, anxiety, uh, fear. So that's the side of of uh, karma or causality. Um, the other side is uh, the side of freedom. That no matter how many times we've reacted, uh, or done, or spoken the same thing or in the same way or thought in the same way, at any given moment, there is some freedom. Not a lot, maybe, because of the force of habit, but still, we can choose. So, this koan addresses this um, this matter of to what degree do we have choice and to what degree are we bound to our karmic propensities uh, in particular after awakening um, just as I suspected we have too much to try to do this all in one day. So uh, we'll resume tomorrow and stop now and recite the four vows. Uh, but just until then, the habit, primary habit force that we all face every moment of every day is this habit of thoughts, the, whether we give way to the thoughts, this powerful habit that draws us back into our thoughts or not. <clears throat> All beings without number, 
I vow to liberate endless blind passions. I vow to uproot dharma gates beyond measure. I vow to benefit the great way of Buddha. I vow to attend.